God is doing good things. Turn with me, if you're in Philippians 1, we're just going to read a few verses that's going to lead us into our time in the Word this morning. Have you seen this morning what the Lord has done? Take a good look at what the Lord has done. Because the Lord has finished his work. The work on the cross that Jesus performed was a complete victory over the powers of Satan, over all the enemies of God. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, not only did he revive him from death, he raised him up victorious over sin and death and sickness and Satan and all the effects of the curse. Jesus is alive and victorious. Jesus is alive. God raised him from the dead. He has ascended into the heaven and he sits now at the right hand of the Father with the name that is above every other name. All his enemies are being made a footstool for his feet. None of our fears or concerns can throw him from his throne or stop him building his church. But as Kerry shared with us at the advanced conference last week, Psalm 2 says that God has set his king on Zion, his holy hill. And no one can take him from that place. And the good news for us folks, for you and I, is that those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior are in Christ. And just as he sits in the heavenly realms, we sit there with him. Amen? So when you look at what the Lord has done, you are looking from a heavenly, victorious, resurrected point of view. You are the head and not the tail. Your citizenship is in heaven, not on the earth. If God is for you, who can be against you? Who would pick a fight with a child of God? Now, as far as God is concerned, his work is completed. Philippians 1 verse 6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. Now, as far as God is concerned, the work that he has begun, he will complete. As far as God is concerned, the work he has begun, he will complete. And he has completed. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. What he starts, he finishes. So from God's point of view, there is no concern about the completion of his work. But he wants us to have the same mindset. Paul says, it's right for me to think this way about you. So as I look around this morning and as you look at me, I want you to think about me this way. That he who began a good work in me will complete it. Because that's how God thinks. And as I look at you and as we look together at the body of Christ across the whole earth, we look with this mindset. Christ has begun a good work. Christ will complete it. And whatever we can do to serve him to complete that work, we will gladly do. We are living in days of fulfillment. We are living in days of fulfillment. Days where not only is the Lord making promises to us and keeping promises to us, but he's teaching us how to obtain his promises as well. For the word of God teaches that everyone who asks receives. 
Everyone who asks, receives. When we ask of the Lord, we must expect to receive. Let me tell you a story. Last week, or the week before, my son had his fourth birthday. And um, I just began to think about the fact over that week that it was round about that age, when I was about four years old, that I first made the decision to follow Jesus. It was a dramatic conversion. I had been way off the beaten tracks. <laughs> my my mum was um, giving me a bath one evening. She was talking to me about Jesus. The phone rang. She went out. And I stood up in the bath with the shampoo dripping down onto the floor. And I said, Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart and be my Lord? And I've never, ever regretted doing that. And uh, I didn't need to be embarrassed that I didn't have a dramatic testimony I had a dramatic testimony because I was transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And just began to think about my own son and thought, um, Lord Jesus, you promised us that you would save our children, given us many promises over the years. And we were with some friends and one of them was sharing with us, you never need to worry about your children. You never need to be concerned. We're praying for them. Know that your children are under the covenant hand of God. And um, that evening we went to our life group and the Lord spoke to us. Someone brought a prophetic word to the, to the group, said, I am the Alpha and the Omega and what I've begun I will complete. And I was walking to work the next morning. That was the Thursday morning. I was walking to work and I was just thinking about things and praying. And I said, Lord, I pray that you would save my son. And um, he, uh, he can be once or twice a day a little bit cheeky. And uh, when we talked to him about Jesus in the past, no way, oh no, oh no, I don't like Jesus, no way, you know, just a little boy. But as I came home from work that evening, having asked the Lord in the morning to save him, he ran to the front door and he said, Daddy, I have to be baptized. So so I said, why? And he said, because I've decided to follow Jesus. Very simply, during the course of the day, he turned to my wife and said, Mummy, I'd like to follow Jesus. She talked to him and asked him what he meant, and he'd given his life to the Lord. So let's review that process, shall we? Days before, the Lord is speaking something into my heart, a promise. A promise that's in line with his internal purpose, because his eternal purpose is that none would perish. I hear it from more than one source because God always confirms his word by the mouth of two or three witnesses. But I had to do something. I was thinking, Lord, I want to take that promise and I want to pull it into the now. And I'm asking you, would you save my little boy? And I had a confidence and assurance that God had heard that prayer. And by the end of the day, the Lord had answered that prayer. We are living in days of fulfillment. We're living in days. Today, for some of you, is the day. Let's say today for all of you is the day when God will keep his promises that he's made to you. God doesn't want us merely to have a a faith for a certain future, but he wants to bring the confidence and the certainty of our hope in our future into the present day. So I want to talk to you this morning about um, the fact that the kingdom of God has come. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. 
Because I believe that God wants us to be a people who not only have a confidence and a certainty of hope for the future, but that we bring the guarantee and certainty of our future into our present day experience every day. So we know for certain that the kingdom of God is coming. We know for certain that Jesus Christ will return one day for a pure and spotless and mature bride, a church that has made herself ready for his coming. We know that, don't we? We have a hope and a future, a certain hope and a certain future that that Jesus is coming again. The kingdom of God is coming. But we also know the scriptures teach us that the kingdom of God has come. And we are living in the tension between those two times. But the Lord wants us to be those who are continually pulling forth into this day the realities of his coming kingdom. Do you believe that this morning? Then this morning is a kingdom morning. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 12 says that when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth behind, and he went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the sea road, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the shadow land of death, light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, since they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, they were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria, so they brought to him all who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics. And he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has come. Now, for his audience, for his generation, this was a radical statement because for the people of that time, for the Jewish believers of that time, the kingdom of God encapsulated all their hope for the future. They were living under Roman rule, under Roman tyranny, and they expected that either a Messiah would come who would set them free from this tyranny and set up an earthly national Israel that they could live in freedom, Or others of them expected that um, a king would come and immediately take them away and they would have a kingdom in heaven. But however they expected it, and both those expectations were misguided, but however they expected the kingdom to come, everything about their future was locked up in this. They were expecting one day that the kingdom of God would come. 
So when John the Baptist and then Jesus come along and say the kingdom of God has come, they're saying this, your future has arrived. The good news of the victory of God has arrived. The kingdom of God had come. And the kingdom of God has not left the earth since Jesus announced that it had come. But he continued to preach about the gospel of the kingdom throughout his ministry. He continued to teach his disciples about the gospel of the kingdom after he was raised from the dead. And he sent us into this earth to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. You may never have heard of anybody talking about the kingdom of God before. You may never have heard anybody talk about this. We simply want to say this. What it means is this. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And he rules and reigns over whatever situation you find yourself in. Over whatever situation the nations find themselves in. Over whatever situation is going on in the invisible world around, it, around you. Jesus is Lord over that. Can you see what the Lord has done? That's where we begin. And there are a few things we need to do today to position ourselves to be ready every day to advance the kingdom of God. Because as Arna Skagen said to us a few weeks ago when he was visiting us, every day is day in the kingdom. Every day is an ocean of opportunities. Every day is a day to advance the kingdom. Aren't you glad you're alive? Look at verse 13 of chapter 4. It says this, that Jesus left Nazareth behind and went to live in Capernaum. Jesus left Nazareth behind and went to live in Capernaum. <clears throat> you might be someone who's moved around a lot in your life. Jesus knew what that was like. He'd been born in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary had taken him to live in Egypt to protect him. They were told then to go back and live in Galilee and they settled in Nazareth and Nazareth was Jesus' hometown. It was the place where he grew up. It was the hometown. It was the place where um, his family were, his brothers and sisters. It was the place where he learned a trade from Joseph to be a carpenter. It was the place where he knew. He was familiar there. He was at home there. Maybe um, it was comfortable. It was the place where the people in Nazareth, later on in his ministry, Rejected him because they said, oh, we know who this guy is. They saw him from an earthly point of view because they were familiar with him. But Jesus was willing to move. Jesus was willing to leave Nazareth behind and move to Capernaum because that's where God wanted him to be to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come. Jesus moved out of the comfort zone of his earthly hometown, away from family, from work, from familiar surroundings, he left the past behind in order to position himself for the present. What do you need to leave behind? See, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is a present reality. God has work for you to do today, now. And we can't carry the disappointments of the past with us if we're going to achieve what God wants to achieve in the present. What are you carrying that the Lord told you to lay down a long time ago? Because God wants you in the present tense of his presence, not in the past tense of your memories. The kingdom of God has come. 
Now, why? Why did, why did Jesus move? Did he have wanderlust? Was he uh, bored at home? Did he want to change his scenery? No. He moved because it was in line with the word and the will of God. Look at verse 14. Why did Jesus move from Nazareth to Capernaum? Were the house prices cheaper? Were the, you know, better schools? No. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. You see, the kingdom of God will be taken hold of and advanced by those who live in line with the word of God. When you live and walk and move in line with the word of God, all of heaven backs up your activities. Jesus' move from Nazareth to Capernaum was divinely orchestrated and divinely ordered because hundreds of years before, it had been divinely announced. What word are you living to fulfill? You see, we sometimes talk about doing the works that Jesus did. Jesus said, I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. What word are you living to fulfill? What word is God pressing into your spirit, even as I'm talking to you, that he says, today is the day when I'm going to fulfill that word? God does not give us promises to keep them far away, but he gives us promises in order for us to take hold of them and bring them into the present. These are days of fulfillment. These are days of completion. What word are you living to see fulfilled? What word are you living to see completed? Because I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Do you see that? Or do you see your life as one unfinished project after another, moving on when you get bored? No, the Lord has called you to finish his work. Jesus said, I must do and finish the work of my Father. God gets no glory from unfinished projects. But when the tabernacle was built, when the temple was constructed and finished, he filled it with his glory. John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. What Word is at the beginning of your action? What Word is at the beginning of your action? What promise, what command can you fight with and battle on when the going gets tough? Because if, the, if you're living and moving according to the word, the Holy Spirit will enable you to achieve all that that word is destined to achieve. I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't know why I live where I live. I don't know why I'm doing the job I'm doing. Well, have you gone back to the Lord and asked him what the word is? We have to war on the word, but if we don't know what the word is, how can we war? If a soldier doesn't know how to use his weapon, what use is he as a soldier? But you are destined to fulfill what God has for you. Amen? Amen. Now, what did they see? It says that the the people in darkness, in verse 16, had seen a great light. What did they see? Well, it's really who did they see? They saw Jesus. They could point to Jesus. You know, Jesus stood out. Everyone else living in that area were in darkness. But he was the light of the world. Now, how did they know that Jesus was the light of the world? Did he have a a t-shirt that said, light of the world? Free handout? Light of the... No, no, no. They knew that Jesus was the light of the world because of what he said and what he did. And this is the amazing thing. 
Jesus says that you are the light of the world. Turn with me to Matthew 5. Do you know, when people know who you are and know what you do, they'll point at you. Because the darkness sees, looks to the light. Yesterday I went to a kid's birthday party and I met a, f- a father there for uh, the father of the, the child. Um, he's not saved and we were talking about what we do. And um, he said, so what do you do? And I told him the work I do with the church. And he was like, wow, you do that? That must be, wow. He, and then he started to pull people across from the party and say, this, this guy, this guy's a pastor, which, which was news to me. <laughs> <laughs> and news to you as well, clearly. But he was, people walking past us, he was grabbing, this guy is a pastor. And I couldn't work out if he was impressed or incredulous, I wasn't quite sure. <laughs> but you know, suddenly there was a light shining. There was a light shining. There was a light shining. Look at Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a, on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Isn't that amazing? As you do good works, as you do the works that God prepared for you in advance to do, you can bring glory to your Father in heaven and show Jesus off to a darkened world around you. Do you believe that? Isn't that fantastic? God is willing to use you. He spoke to us last week and said, I'm no respecter of persons. I'll use anyone who has faith in me. He's willing to use you to shine his light into a darkened world. He's willing to put you on display to bring glory to himself. Wow, you look good this morning, light of the world. So Jesus has positioned himself. Jesus has moved into the area. Jesus is ready with the word. And then he announces in Matthew 4, 17, the kingdom of heaven has come. Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, has come. The rule and the reign and the power of Jesus was and is present in this time-space world. The promise of the future was now to become the reality of the present for all who believed in him. When Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come, you had to take notice. He he personified, he encapsulated the kingdom. If you wanted to know what life in the kingdom of God was like, you just looked at Jesus. All you had to do was look at him. And Jesus showed that the kingdom of God had come, not only by declaring its message, but by demonstrating its power. Because the kingdom of God had come, Jesus could call people to repentance. He could call them to change their ways, change their minds, and turn to God. He could heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out the demon and by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us we can see the same things happen Jesus spoke about the kingdom in his words and he showed you the kingdom in his works 
And that's what you and I are to be like as well. Amen? You see, for us who believe in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is not only our future hope, it's our present reality. We have tasted of the powers of an age to come. The Holy Spirit living in us as believers is a guarantee that God will give us everything he's promised. Aren't you glad you're in the kingdom? Aren't you glad you came to the kingdom for such a time as this? When there's such work to do in our world, there's such darkness for us to invade with the light of Christ. There are so many needs that politicians and uh, charities and um, economists can't meet, but the church will rise up in a day like this and demonstrate that the life of Jesus is the only thing that can cure the ills of men. The mountain of the Lord will be chief among the mountains and the nations will stream to it. And you are such a people. Now look at verse 20 of um, Matthew 4. Jesus says, excuse me, verse 19. Jesus goes along the Sea of Galilee, sees the fishermen, and he says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Because Jesus had moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, because he positioned himself in the present tense of God's purposes, he was in the right place at the right time to proclaim the gospel and to call his first disciples. You know, when God calls you to move, when God calls you out of comfort zone, when God calls you on an adventure, it's because he has people for you to reach. And he has work for you to do. You might not be able to see it, but he sees it. You might not understand why he's calling you to change your job or to move house or to leave a, a certain friendship and start a new friendship. You, you might not know why that is, but the Lord has people prepared for you to meet. You see, the disciples left everything to follow Jesus because Jesus had left everything to find them. And he hadn't just left hometown. He left the very throne of heaven. He was the word made flesh. He could have stayed where he was and none of us would be here today. But he moved. He came. He was sent and came willingly. Always willing to do the work of the Father. Always willing to obey the promptings of the Spirit. And as he's moving along, the Lord leads him to people. Because the name of the game is people. Do you know all around you today are people that the Lord is ready to work in? Are you ready for him to work in you? The disciples left everything to follow Jesus because he'd left everything to find them. Are you willing to give up whatever it takes to do whatever God wants you to do? I met a young man this week and he, I said, what's God doing in your life at the moment? He said, I can only put it this one way. I found something I'm willing to give my life for. The Lord spoke to us this morning when Johnny prophesied and said, if the breakthrough you're seeking, you have to seek me heart and soul. It's going to cost us everything to obtain everything, but it's worth it. As Dave shared with us a few weeks ago, the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. And although we sell everything to obtain it, we never look back, do we? But we rejoice that we found the kingdom. Look at verse 23. We're going to conclude here. Matthew 4, 23. 
find it amazing, by the way, that Jesus says to the disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And um, he immediately leads them out and then they're seeing the signs and the wonders and the miracles. But the, the calling that Jesus had for them was always for people. And verse 23 says, Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Say every. Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching, in their, uh, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Because the kingdom of God had come, people's lives had to change inside and out. The gospel of the kingdom took root and the mind and the body, the emotions, the will were transformed by the power of God. Jesus demonstrated the rule of his kingdom by healing the sick, cleansing the deper, dealing with the demonic, raising the dead. Jesus is Lord over all those things. Because the kingdom of God has come, your life has changed from the inside out. The kingdom of God is no longer a, a reality outside of you, but the Holy Spirit has taken up residence within you, so Jesus can say of you that the kingdom of heaven is within you. The rule and the reign of Jesus Christ is permeating every area of your life and causing you to grow up in Christ. And through you, he can demonstrate the power of his kingdom wherever you go. This week, a friend of ours came to our life group for the first time. He's not a Christian. He's a trainee doctor. We've been reaching out to him, some of us, for three or four months. And came and sat in our um, life group. And uh, people were praising God. They were sharing testimonies. They were uh, moving in spiritual gifts and all these things. And um, at the end, of the, the end of the evening, we prayed for some people who were sick. And one of the, the, the young girls in the, um, in the life group, she had some stomach pains. And we laid hands on her. And immediately, Jesus healed her. And that my doctor friend said, well, I can accept everything I've seen tonight except that one thing. He said, because that's impossible. He said, I'm a doctor. Those things don't get better immediately. That takes time. I said, well, <laughs> I said, you've just met a supernatural God, haven't you? You know, our very life is supernatural. Our very life is spiritual. You're a spiritual being. You're a spiritual person. The Holy Spirit rules and reigns in your mind, your will, and your emotions. The Holy Spirit can use you and will work through you as you're willing to reach people and to touch people, to lead people to Christ, to see people healed and delivered. The Holy Spirit will use you. Are you willing? Because the kingdom of God has come. Say these words with me. The kingdom of God, kingdom of God has, come. has come. Now, some of you are here this morning, and as we've been going through the meeting, the Lord has been putting things on your heart to say this. You have been leaving it far off, but today I'm calling you to bring it into the now. It's a prophetic word. It's a promise. It's a deliverance or a healing. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet right now.